Hi, everyone. Welcome to Refine and Grow with Justin and Lindsay. My name is Lindsay Allen. And my name is Justin Euler, and this is your podcast for proven strategies on navigating and managing work life. So today we're talking about tips for successfully onboarding. And so what we mean by that is learning and adapting to a new role, either in a new department for your current company or in a brand new company and onboarding quickly and effectively so that you can immediately start adding value to the organization. And so we've got tips and trick sheets on our website for each episode topic that we talk about. So you can go to refiningrow.com and check out tips for successfully onboarding. Just download that document. But we've got four tips that we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about self-guided tours, scheduling meet and greets, learning the organizational structure, and listening more than you speak. So in a nutshell, that's how you successfully onboard. But Justin and I are going to take the time to deep dive into each of these. The first aspect of this advice, the self-guided tour, we touched on this when we were talking about navigating ambiguity, but it's really where you spend those first couple of days when you might have some downtime, figuring out the layout of the building, the resources and the neighborhood, what's available to you. So these are things you want to understand, where is the kitchenette? Where can I get coffee or store lunches that I bring? Where are the conference rooms and particularly the ones that you might find yourself in for most meetings? So the conference rooms on the floor that you've been assigned to or floor, if your team is distributed across multiple floors or buildings, you would want to familiarize yourself with those areas and that will save you time, particularly when you're brand new and and are going to meetings for the first time, finding that conference room quickly. You want to know where all of your resources are if I need to print or scan documents, where are they? If I need to check my mail, where's my mailbox? Get to know reception, get to know executive assistance, and just really take yourself on your own tour so that it feels familiar to you. And that takes out a lot of the ambiguity and the difficulty in onboarding to a new job that other people can't really do for you. Yeah, and I would say the big piece here, Lindsay, I I really feel like it's just being curious. You have this opportunity to really understand a place and understand the culture of a place. And that is, I think, something that you can easily do just by having that inherent curiosity and exploration of the facilities and and the location that's immediately in front of you. I I often walk when I have meetings, uh, whether inside or outside, and I think that's a great opportunity to do a healthy kind of multitask, get your body up, get moving, explore what you're at and what you're doing. And if you have the opportunity to to listen in on a call or, or have a conversation with someone while you're taking that walk, particularly outside, all the better. I also find that it's just healthy to get away from your desk and, and move from time to time throughout the day. And really, I think particularly that point around finding a park or a walking trail or a path you can easily identify and walk to is a great way to clear your head and reground yourself throughout the day. We're often so quick to move from meeting to meeting and conversation to conversation that we really don't stop to pause, reflect, level set, reorient ourselves, and then transition into the next conversation. Knowing those key places where you can break away and rest the mind and not get the blood flowing, I think is really, really important. Right. And on these tips and tricks sheets that you can download at refiningrow.com, we have how you implement each tip and how you measure it. And 
One of the things that we call out is finding your go-to plan when you need space, when you need a moment to clear your head. And I think that what it does for you is make you feel empowered because sometimes you'll find yourself in a work situation where you feel like you don't have power and and you often don't to control the situation or change the circumstance that you're in. But what you can control is being aware of where your resources are and having that go-to plan. When I'm feeling overwhelmed, I can get to this park. I know it's down the street, take a walk, clear my head, come back with a fresh mindset. Yeah. I think being able to get out and get some fresh air age throughout your day and really giving the best to your client and or your colleagues. And and I know not everyone is in a place either officing from home or officing at at their company where they have that place that they can get out and and take a walk. We're we're pretty lucky in the Pacific Northwest and that just about anywhere you go, you can find a place to get away and have a walk and breathe some fresh air and take in a beautiful view and really breathe and slow down. But I think no matter where you're at, I mean, I've, I've traveled to customers in the middle of winter and you can tell a lot about what's important to a company based upon just how they keep their facilities and frankly, what kind of amenities they have available to you and what's around you. And then finally, it's just really good to uh, do that exploration, not only when you first get oriented, but ongoing just to, to maintain that groundedness. Yeah. I think you're touching on a theme that kind of goes through all four of the aspects of tips for successfully onboarding that we're walking everyone through today. And that is the power of observation. That's really Mm. a theme throughout this. So our next aspect of tips for successfully onboarding is scheduling meet and greet. I actually kind of hear this commonly now, but I When I learned it maybe 12-ish years ago, I was not familiar with scheduling meet and greets. But I was told by a mentor, you've never done this job before when I I was in a new role. So you don't know what you don't know. And the best way for you to find out more about what you don't know is to meet people who do know that information. And so she had asked me to reach out to people that I knew had a role similar to mine or that my role would be interacting with regularly and meet with them and just ask them a few questions such as tell me about your role and your responsibilities. What advice do you have for me? And you know, what have been some of your most important learnings? And I really thought everybody is so busy because I'm I'm working for, you know, primarily like Fortune 100 big tech companies and they're working around the clock and I'm thinking nobody has time for me for the new girl. And actually, I would say about 70 to 80% of the time, I got responses right away. People made time for me. I was worried that it will only take them five or 10 minutes to answer these questions. But actually, they had so much knowledge to share that I walked away feeling like almost like they had all of this great knowledge and they were waiting for someone to finally ask them to share it, to share their learnings and to help teach someone and, and help orient them for success. So I barely spoke. And it it goes back to the being an observer. I was an observer. I was observing the lessons that they had learned, the knowledge that they had to share, and just really trying to take it all in. And it really helped set me up for success and avoid mistakes that I may have made had I not taken that time in my first couple of weeks on a new job to really figure out who are the key stakeholders that I should meet and can learn from. You know, Lindsay, I think what what you're pointing out is we have to have a little bit of courage, 
right? And reach out and, and meet folks. And I think people are always willing. I think when when someone is willing to take the time and reach out to me and really actively engage with me and ask me questions and, and pass on maybe experiences or knowledge, I'm all too willing to do that. I think we inherently kind of like to talk about ourselves a little bit. I think uh, many of us, particularly those of us who like to be good leaders and good colleagues, we want to pass on the information that we have. And so I do think it takes a bit of courage. It's a little scary to reach out and ask someone to spend some time with you, especially if they're more senior on the org chart. But I think if you reach out to learn, people want to take the time. They find that engaging back to curiosity, right? You find that if you're curious and you put yourself in a posture to learn and you have a little bit of courage to reach out and engage, you have an opportunity to mine a lot of goodness from people that have come before you in that particular organization. I, I think the other question that I would ask too is what's important to them? It's, you know, it's not only gleaning their roles and re- their responsibilities and what guidance they have, but it's also what do they value? What are, what are they trying to achieve at that organization. And I think learning what's important to them, especially those folks who are more senior to you, um, not only do you have an opportunity to ensure that what you are doing is aligned to what they're doing and thus making the work you're doing potentially more valuable to the organization, you may also find areas within that organization that you want to have more concentration or more focus on because, hey, that's really interesting to me. And, And the last thing I would point out on this particular one is just ask really good questions. Ask questions that don't evoke a yes or no response, but ask those open-ended questions that really allow the person to kind of open up and expand on those ideas. And don't be afraid to ask some follow-up questions. And furthermore, I'd say, don't be afraid. If you find someone that you really connect with and you see a possible mentorship or just buddy kind of relationship, don't be afraid to ask for more time, whether that's once a month, once a quarter, depending upon the level of the person you're engaging with, but maintain that that interaction. And I think that humanization, that courage, that curiosity will pay off in big dividends uh, throughout the life of your career. I agree. That was one of the unanticipated benefits that I got from scheduling meet and greets was that it it really set me up with a strong reputation right from the beginning. And I think really just because people saw I had that curiosity and courage and desire to learn. Yeah. Yeah. You really stand out when you do that. It's, it's, it doesn't happen as often as people think. So, you know, some people may perceive it as kind of sucking up. And I would definitely say if, if that's your intent, if that's your motivation, don't do it. But if your intent and motivation is to have relational connection, to be curious, to learn, to grow, to align your priorities um, within the organization, then there's really no better way to spend your time. And I think, again, I think most people are going to say yes if you if you reach out. I will say this, when you do reach out for their time, be specific. Let them know why you're contacting them and what you want to talk about. Too often we reach out to someone, we want to talk to them. And if they're busy or they have other priorities, unless you can clearly articulate, even in an informal way, your objectives and agenda, going back to what we've talked about earlier in the season, the kind of the one, two, three rule, like what's the business problem? What's the desired outcome? Here's my approach. You take the same approach here. Why am I talking to this person? What am I hoping to achieve? And then therefore, what's the kind of the high level agenda to bridge that gap? If you can articulate that in an email to the person you're contacting, chances are you're going to get that meeting. Right. And I know specifically, I I said in my invites, hey, I'm new. 
and I have either a role that will be working with you or a similar role that you have. And I'm wondering if I can learn about your roles and responsibilities and any guidance or advice that you may have. Yeah. Yeah. And that was sure. it. It was pretty simple. And I thought maybe I would have to put more effort into driving the conversation that they, we had 30 minutes and just asking those two questions wasn't enough. But like I said yeah. before, we could have spoken probably for an hour or two. They had so much yeah, to share. For sure. Yeah. 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 You know, going to this next one, kind of learning the org structure, you and I were, were talking before we recorded that this is just not something people really do anymore. And Maybe they never did it, but I think it's something you and I, I think it's partly because we've been not only management consultants, but we've specifically been more org development, org strategy, org change consultants. So we're, we're naturally curious around uh, the structure of an organization, how decisions are being made, et cetera. But uh, this is something I think that's pretty critical. And again, understanding the culture of an organization, the decision-making uh, framework within an organization, and really leads down some interesting rabbit trails that I think are pretty critical. Like, did this organization grow through acquisition? Was this organic growth? Do we have alignment on job titles and leveling throughout the organization? How are teams structured? You know, what's what's the driving philosophy behind how they're structured? And you can start to tease some of that out quite simply just by looking at the quote unquote virtual organizational chart. And you find a lot of organizations don't have org charts anymore. They're really hard to find or companies reorg so often. And, and we've had some customers like that, Lindsay, that org charts just don't exist because they're outdated the minute they get made. Um, <laughs> but I feel like there are some really great tools kind of at our fingertips to really help us understand an organization. Two, two tools that I use regularly, uh, and I joke that I kind of do the internet stocking, but one, I look at the global address list. And in the global address list, particularly if you're, you're using Microsoft um, applications, you can see who a person rolls up to and then all the way, usually up to the CEO level, depending upon the company. And you can see if they have any direct reports working for them. So I find that's a great tool. It's not a quick to see organizational chart, but it gives you a really clear sense of where that person sits in the org. For example, I'm a senior director, but I report to an executive vice president. All of my peers are VPs or SVPs. And so even though I have a senior director title, I roll directly to an EVP. That gives you a really clear sense of what kind of access I have, really. I have a lot of access and that access is really helpful. So if someone were, were researching where I sit within the organization, they may be quick just based upon my title to go probably, probably a couple echelons below uh, reason, right? Or above reason, depending upon how you look at it. But in fact, I, I have a pretty close linkage to the most senior executives in the company and therefore have a, a bit of influence. Not a lot, I don't wanna overstate it, but I have a bit of influence and connection. The second tool I really like to look at is LinkedIn. Uh, LinkedIn is a, is a great tool to give you access and it's kind of expected that people are gonna be looking each other up. So it doesn't look weird when you're, uh, when you're researching the background on folks, but I always find LinkedIn to be somewhat helpful when learning an organization as well. Not quite as clear as the global address list and outlook, but but nonetheless helpful. Right. Yeah. And I think learning the organizational structure, that aspect of successfully onboarding really goes hand in hand with meet and greets, because how are you going to know who to reach out to if you don't understand the organizational structure? 
Yeah. Yeah. And the, the global address list, because I have worked with people who aren't sure what that is, but it's, it's when you're sending an email in outlook, you can right click and see the person that you're sending the email to who they report to and who is below them. And I often, I mean, what I do is I fill out a stakeholder analysis, which is just a basic spreadsheet where I put name, email address, and who the person reports into and what group they sit in and what region they sit in. And it's this, you know, long and grueling task. It's not fun to look up a hundred people and enter all their information (laughs) into a spreadsheet. But by the time I'm done, I know how that organization is structured. And I find that it's really helpful in terms of learning the language of the organization as well, because people in meetings will talk about, oh, Justin Euler's org is working on this or Lindsay Allen's org is doing this. And it's like, what do they mean? Because they don't always use the name of the functions and the titles. I agree. Titles (laughs) don't seem to always be a hundred percent accurate. There are directors who report into directors and vice presidents who report into vice presidents. And then also it's, you know, sometimes there's some kind of HR naming convention that you need to follow. And it's, what they are the manager of isn't quite clear in coming through in their title, but that, you know, all the more reason to reach out to them. And you are typically introduced at least to a few people when you start out at a new job, your boss and a couple of colleagues who can help you with questions on the day to day. And those are great questions for them. Help me understand yeah. the organizational structure. Justin said, we have focused a lot on org design and and optimizing operations. So it was key for us to understand the organizational structure. But it's also the only way that I could visualize how the organization worked. I mean, you can really get a visual of, okay, these people sit here and are grouped here and this person does performs this function. I perform this function. And pretty soon you've got a map in your head where you go, okay, so if I do X, it would influence and impact these people. Yeah. And that's just, you know, going to help as you're onboarding with your relationships and your reputation, because you understand who you're impacting based on the decisions that you're making or the changes that you're introducing into the organization. Yeah. And, and even if you're not able to draw like a strict boxes and lines kind of org chart, at the very least, you can start to map formally or informally relationships between people, between functions, between lines of business. And, and that relational mapping to Lindsay's point is really valuable. It, it shows that you you have a, a fundamental grasp of the organization and how it how it's starting to function. And that's important. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And so then our final tip for successfully onboarding is to listen more than you speak. Mm. I don't think I understood until maybe, maybe 10 years into my career, how powerful silence is. I mean, it's incredible. It's probably the best lesson that I've ever learned. I think that people make an assumption a lot of times that the way that you prove your worth in an organization or add value, especially when you're new, is to share your knowledge and what totally. you know. Totally. Yeah. But the truth is you're learning. And to go back to what I was saying earlier in the episode, you don't know what you don't know. If it's a brand new role, I mean, even if you're working for the same company, but have changed to a new department and a new role, you just don't know all the ins and outs of somebody who's been there for 10 years. And so to learn and be self-disciplined enough 
to say, I'm going to go into this meeting and I'm just going to listen and learn and I'm not going to speak. Or even in your one-on-one interactions, I mean, not that you don't speak, but you follow the lead of the other person in the conversation versus being the one driving the conversation. The type of information that is shared is very valuable and something you could learn from. And you should be taking notes in your particularly your first month or two on a job. And asking about what you don't understand, maybe it's not appropriate in a meeting with conference room with 30 people, but you can follow up with people individually afterwards. But I find that just listening, again, observing the interactions of people, being curious about how they communicate, how they interact, what does each type of person bring to the table for solutions? There's just so much learning that can happen there from relationships and interactions. And in the one-on-ones, when I learned to really just keep my mouth shut and let the other person take the lead, I've noticed that people, people tend to not feel okay with silence. It feels awkward. And so they fill in that silence. And if you can learn to kind of be okay with the awkward silences, people will fill it in with all kinds of interesting information that will help you be better at your job, whether it's, oh, I'm not supposed to say anything, but this brand, we're hiring a new person here, or, you know, I don't know if you've tried this software system, but it's awful. Like that's a good heads up. There's, there's just a whole mountain of different types of information you can get simply by learning that you are more valuable in listening. I mean, not just hearing, but really listening and processing what others are saying than you are when you try to come in and say, I have the answers and you're brand new. Yeah. You make a, a really good distinction here, Lindsay, between hearing and listening, because listening requires you to really put your agenda as secondary, put it into the backseat. When we are just quiet, but we're not listening, oftentimes we are formulating what we're going to say next. And that's not really listening. So you not only have to be silent, but you have to be engaged and you have to put your agenda secondary so that you can actually listen. It's not to say you can't lead or have a structured conversation that's driving towards a particular outcome, but it is to say that you need to subvert your agenda for a moment so that you can really hear someone, so you can really listen to them well. Uh, So it's not formulating what you're going to say next. And I just learned something recently that really impacted me, and that's this acronym, uh, WAIT, W-A-I-T. Why am I talking? Wait, why am I talking? And I think it's a great question to ask yourself. Why are you talking? And I see particularly amongst type A more, and we're all kind of type A in our world, but type A extroverts, this need to prove value through filling space and through using a lot of words. And oftentimes when you're in that posture, you're not really learning, you're not listening, you're trying to prove something. Uh, so not all the time, but I, I would just say that that's a good thing to really think about. And, and then when you do talk, my recommendation is always ask questions that lead to clarification or unwrapping deeper layers of meaning within the conversation. So less statements, more questions. And again, As Lindsay said, I can't emphasize that honoring silence enough. Oftentimes when someone gets done talking, especially when I'm on a phone call or a conference call, I will count to seven Mississippi 
before I say anything to allow either that person to follow up or if I'm in a conversation with multiple individuals to allow other people to speak first. Again, I think wait, why am I talking is always a good question to ask yourself. Kind of goes back to one, two, three, right? Business problem, desired outcome approach. Why am I talking? Is there something I'm trying to solve for or understand? Is there an outcome I'm driving towards when I, when I speak? Is there purpose? Is there intention behind my vocalization? Am I asking questions that clarify and unwrap deeper layers of meaning? And am I honoring silence so that I can give others an opportunity to speak? Or as one mentor said to me, really get those tasty brown bits that are left in the pan, right? That's where the good stuff is. You throw in a little wine, stir that up, and man, that, that's, the, that's the secret sauce. So to, to say it another way, and we, we were talking about this off, offline, never miss an opportunity to shut up, I think is a, a great way uh, to summarize that. I agree. And you were talking about asking thoughtful questions that can provide you more meaning and layer to the solution or discussion at hand. I also wanted to say when I started practicing this listening technique and trying to clarify what others were saying, I needed a go-to phrase if I wasn't sure what question to ask. Mm. And a mentor had told me just simply say, say more. And I Mm. used that. It felt awkward to me at first, but when someone would view out this whole plan to me about what we were going to be doing (laughs) or trying to explain a process to me, and it was like, I kind of understood, but not really. And I needed to ask questions. I wasn't really even sure where to hone in and on, I would just say, can you say more about that? Yeah. And the person would think, and then usually it wasn't that they just gave me one sentence. They gave me several sentences where they re-explained and almost always it clicked, or I was able to then identify what is the question that I need to ask to understand this person better. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. We, in, in my family, we actually use the question, tell me more, or the statement, tell me more as a way to give more space for that person to elaborate and and demon- and really demonstrate that we're actually listening. Yeah. yeah. The last thing I would say about listen more than you speak is, again, going to these unexpected benefits that I received by following these tips and tricks. Again, this really helps with your reputation quite a bit. What I learned was that then when I did start to speak up, people listened to me because yeah. I had listened to them and I rarely Absolutely. spoke. Yeah. It just gives you way more credibility as a human. Well, and you learn to only speak when you have something really of value to say. Yeah. And so then every time you speak, people hear something valuable and they go, Oh, Justin speaking. I think I'll listen because he often is the listener, not the speaker. And every time I do hear him speak, it's something that really adds value to the conversation. Totally. You know, I can't even tell you how many times I've, I've had a thought, started to think maybe I'll say this and then gone, phew, I'm glad I didn't say it because it was not, it was off topic and I didn't realize it was off topic or it was pointing us in a different direction than the conversation ended up going or it got answered two sentences later and I just needed to be more patient letting the speaker finish their thought. Yeah. Yeah. It's good stuff. Mm-hmm today don't forget to head out to our website to download the tips and tricks worksheet from today's episode download case studies subscribe to our podcast and newsletter and more 
and tune in next week for an all-new episode. Thanks for listening.